You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today, we're finishing up our series on the five solas of the church. And the five solas of the church are, are kind of foundational doctrinal ideas that came from the Reformation whenever the Protestant church split off from the Catholic church. There were some ideas that uh, are kind of core to who Protestant churches are today. Now, some churches veer away from some of these, and there are some that we don't agree with a 100% the way others might. But basically, we've been walking through these five core ideas over the last four weeks. And so today we're finishing up with the fifth. And the reason they're called solas is because uh, sola is the Latin word for alone. And so you'll see as we walk through these statements together why they're called the five solas. The first that we covered in week one was sola gratia, which is grace alone. Number two is sola fide, which is faith alone. Three, solus Christus, which is Christ alone. Four, which we covered last week, is sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. And for some reason, my daughters think it's hilarious when I say sola scriptura. Um, and then this week, we're gonna be looking at the last of the solas, sola deo gloria, which is the glory of God alone. And so we've distilled this down to this statement which is this, Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, in Christ alone, as revealed through scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. This is kind of what we're about. So today we're looking at this idea of soli deo gloria. So as a doctrine, this idea means that everything that is done is done for God's glory to the exclusion of my glory. So it's not about me, it's not about my glory, it's about God's glory. That everything in my life points back to his glory. Uh, when we look broadly speaking at this word glory in scripture, uh, the, the Jewish people have a very interesting view of glory and God's glory specifically, but for our purposes today, we've gotta, we've gotta simplify it a little bit. And so we're gonna use the typical Biblical definitions of glory are fame, renown, praise, or honor. This is going to typically be what we would look at throughout our conversation today. Uh, there's a Greek word, kleos, K-L-E-O-S, which means renown or uh, glory. And so a Greek, a, a Greek, ancient Greek soldier could earn renown by doing something spectacular on the battlefield or, or innovating in some way or doing something special. They would earn kleos. And it's this idea that glory is given to the person who deserves the glory. And, and I want you to know today, our God deserves the glory. So somebody could earn glory for what they've accomplished or what they've achieved or what they've done. And our God has achieved all he needs to achieve to earn all of the glory that's possibly available. And that's the idea that we're walking through today and looking at today is that our God is worthy of glory. So God's glory, just to put a kind of a definition on it, is his external manifestation of his being. So it's the external manifestation of his being. So what we see is you can actually see God's glory in scripture. Uh, it appears in Exodus chapter 16, verse 10. It's revealed in Isaiah 40, verse five. And it can be seen in Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. We also have this sense that there are aspects of God's glory that are hidden from us or kept back for, from us. And maybe it's better to say for us. If you look at the book of Exodus, 
Exodus, uh, this section of scripture, we're gonna look at just a couple passages in Exodus 33. But in this section of scripture, uh, Moses, he goes up on Mount Sinai to, to talk to God because the people of Israel say, we don't want to talk to him directly. He scares us. You go talk to him for us. Um, it's funny because Abby and I, we've stayed in some hotels lately and she always makes me sleep in the bed closest to the door because her reasoning is if, if the, somebody breaks in, they'll get you and not me, which uh, thanks Abby, I appreciate that, right? And that's kind of what the Israelites did. They're like, Moses, you go talk to God. If he zaps somebody, it'll be you, not us. So he goes up on the mountain. He receives the 10 commandments. He comes off the mountain and they're being stupid. They're being idiots. And so he breaks the tablets, the 10 commandments. And I, can you imagine the conversation we had to go back to God? <laughs> be like, hey God, uh, man, those tablets you gave me, they, they broke. Well, how'd they break? They broke, I, they broke. <laughs> you know, it's like your child trying to explain it. So he, he's talking to God. He's going back up and down Mount Sinai. In one of these in, instances, um, he's having this conversation with God and he says, God, I can't do this because he's battling insecurity like all of us do. Moses is human. He's battling insecurity. He says, I can't do it. I, I'm struggling, God. Um, I need you to go with me. And He's talking back and forth with God. They're having this dialogue. And finally, in verse 17 of Exodus 33, it says, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Oh, how awesome is that? And you go, well, yeah, of course he knows Moses by name. It's Moses. And he doesn't know me, but he does. The God of the universe knows you by name. He knows you personally. Our church is big enough. I, I can't know everybody's name. I struggled to, I, I work really hard, but I don't know everybody's name. But the God of the universe knows every one of your names. Not only does he know your name, he knows everybody in every church in America's name. Not only that, he knows every human that's ever lived and ever will live. He knows their name. He knows you by name, which is incredible. I could preach a whole sermon on that, but but that's not what we're finishing at. Listen to what verse 18 says. Moses responds to him and he says, then show me your glorious presence. Now this is big. Other translations say that he said, so sh then show me your glory. And, and remember what glory is. It's the manifest presence of God. What he's saying is, God, I, I don't wanna just talk with you. I wanna be, I wanna be with you. I wanna see your manifest physical presence. I wanna be with you. That is very different than just praying to God, talking at God. Uh, years ago, so um, I'm not as big a sports fan as I used to be. I, I still like sports fine, but I used to be a big St. Louis Cardinals fan back in the day. So I know some of you are judging me right now. So, um, and I, I would get on these forums and talk to other St. Louis Cardinals fans and we would gripe about our team and what are they doing? Why do they do that? I can't believe. And we would, we would interact. And I got to know some of these people pretty well. And then one time I mentioned, hey, I'm gonna be at a game in St. Louis with a friend of mine. And somebody said, hey, I'm gonna be at that same game. And I said, well, let's meet up. And we exchanged numbers and we showed up. And this is the guy I talked to a lot online. And I get there in person. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the manifest presence of Ed. <laughs> because there was a big difference between me 
chatting with him online and me being with him physically in person. And I could see him and I could hug him and we could talk, interact and have a meal together. The, the intimacy level is totally different than it was. I could see his face. I could see his body language. I could hear his tone, all these things when I was with him personally, physically. And this is what Moses is saying. He's not saying put on a light show. He says, God, I, I wanna know you personally. You know me, you know me by name, but I want to know you. Mm, how beautiful is that? I mean, he could ask for probably anything in that moment. He'd been asking, God, would you go with me? And God finally says, yes, I'll go with you. I know you, I'm with you. And he says, but I wanna know you. I wanna know you. That's what he was after. God, I, I, show me your glory. Show me who you are. I wanna know you. And here's what happened. Um, God did show him his glory. He said, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, there are aspects of my glory I can't show you. He said, you can't see my face. So here's what we're gonna do, Moses. I'm gonna put you in the cleft of the rock, this cutout in the rock, and, and I'm gonna put my hand over you. And as I walk by you, I'll release my hand and you can see my back. How about that? I was like, great, I'll take whatever I can get, I'm good. And so Moses has this interaction with God where he sees the back of God and he comes off the mountain and it's like he has been working on the, the core of a nuclear power plant. <laughs> He's irradiated. He's literally glowing with the glory of God. And he comes off the mountain and people are like, what is going on? He said, it's the glory of God, don't worry. And they're like, no, we're worried. We are freaking out a little bit right now. Like, we need you to cover that up. It's making us uncomfortable. And this is a side note for another sermon another time. But when you spend time in the glory of God and you are carrying the glory of God, there are people in your life and in your orbit that are not gonna like it very much. They're gonna be uncomfortable with it and they're gonna say, you need to tone this down a little bit. Oh, you're a little too happy. You got a little too much joy. I'm a little too uncomfortable with how zealous you are about your God. Why don't you put a veil over that? for us, cover that up. So Moses, he did, he covered up the glory of God to make the people more comfortable. But there was a physical change in Moses because of his interaction with God. And here's what I want you to hear. God doesn't need us to give him glory. God's good. Um, we are changed when we give God glory. So think about it this way at your workplace, whatever job you go to on Monday, whatever job you work at, I, I imagine we have a lot of high achievers in this room and in Blairsville and watching online that you're working really hard. And some of you are in jobs, no matter how hard you work or how high you, highly you perform, you're never gonna be recognized for that. Nobody's ever gonna say, you are such a good employee, you deserve a promotion. You are such a good employee, you deserve a raise. But that's, that doesn't change your identity. That doesn't change who you are. Now, you would like a pay raise or a promotion, but you're still gonna give your very best. You're still gonna work really hard because that's who you are. So whether they recognize you or not does not change you. Now, for some of you, it might. You might quit your job if you don't get recognized, but that's another story for another day. It doesn't change who you are though. And God doesn't change whether I give him glory or not. God is still full of glory. He deserves all of the glory, whether I admit that or not, whether I give him the glory. In fact, scripture actually says, if I don't give him glory, nature will give him glory, okay? So what happens though is when I give God glory, when I'm in his presence, it changes me. And that's what we're after. God doesn't change, but he's in the business of change and he changes us. 
So Isaiah chapter 43, verses five says this. Do not be afraid. I'm sorry. Uh, the nation of Israel is in captivity. Uh, God speaks to prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel. He says, do not be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from the east and west. I will say to the north and the south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Now he's speaking specifically to Israel, but this message transcends Israel to the church today. We are adopted in. So this is for us today. Verse seven, listen to this. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Did you catch that? Our world struggles with our identity. Why am I here? What is my purpose? I wanna do something that fulfills me. And this is why our world is so empty because so many people are doing things that are so unfulfilling. We've, we've got a group of people that just came back from Ireland on a mission trip. And I've already talked to a few of them and they're like, oh my gosh, Pastor Mel is so incredible, it was awesome. You need to do on a world reach trip with us. They really are great. Um, and the reason it's great is because for a week or 10 days or two weeks or however long it is, we set aside our normal concerns and cares and worries and all the stuff that consumes our life. We set aside normal life. And for one week or two weeks or whatever long it is, we are focused on doing what God has asked us to do. Hey, I'm here to serve. I'm here to bless. I'm here to help. I'm just here to, to be of service for God's purpose. And they come alive. And people think, maybe I'm called to Ireland now, maybe. Or, or maybe you're walking in your purpose. Because our purpose might not be to move to Ireland, but our purpose definitely is to bring glory to God. Because it says right here, God says, all who claim me as their God, I have made them for my glory. Those of us who call Jesus Lord, God created us. He made us, he manufactured us to bring him glory. So when we are functioning outside of our purpose, we are empty. Our lives are pointless because we were made to bring him glory. So when we are living our lives for anything other than that, it's empty, it's pointless. Most of us live our lives for our happiness or our pleasure or our comfort, but we're not living for God's glory. God's glory is accidental. If I happen to give God some glory, great. But what we're really focused on is making my life as happy and comfortable as it possibly can be. And that is antithetical to the scripture. We don't see that in scripture anywhere, that God has put you on earth just to make you as happy as you can be. No, he has made you for his glory. And your life will be better when we recognize that. So the question is, how can we bring God glory? I'm glad you asked. I've told you guys before, um, Really good sermons have three points. That's why I don't preach very many sermons that have three points. Usually it's a point or two, maybe. I got good news for you today. Tonight is not just a good message because a good message has three points. Not four points today, not four. Not six. Seven. It's like an infomercial, but wait, there's more. I got seven points for you today. So if you like making lists, today is your day. So let me start right now. How can we bring God glory? Number one, live honorably. Live honorably. Scripture makes it very clear. First Peter chapter two. Be careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. 
Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Did you hear what it says? If, if I live honorably among people who don't even believe that Jesus is Lord, at some point, the lost people will glorify God. I don't have to beg them to come to church to glorify God. They're going to if I simply do what God's called me to do, which is to live honorably among unbelievers. Now, here's the thing. Many people, we've got some, some shifting that goes on in our lives where we will live honorably among Christians or when the pastor's around, right? But when we're around our pagan friends, then we will act dishonorably. Our, our standards shift depending on who the audience is. And what scripture makes clear, what Peter is saying is, hey, how about if we have an objective standard that we live for every single day, no matter who's around us, whether you're with your boys at work, whether you are at home, no matter where you are, that you continue to live honorably. Because when you do that, God is glorified. And not only is God glorified by you, God is glorified by lost people. When you say, I'm going to live honorably, not gonna engage in some of the things the world engages in. Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts, a, puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So light was very important. They didn't have switches that you were flipping on and off. They had candles, they had campfires, they had fireplaces, they had light but it wasn't in the abundance that it is for us. And if you were a traveler on a road and you saw a city on a hill, light shining, there weren't a lot of street lights, things like that in the, as you're traveling. So it was, it was a destination. It was a place of hope in the darkness. This light was shining as a city on a hill. This is the picture that Jesus is painting. And he says this, in the same way, so what he's saying is, you should be a city on a hill. You should be a bright light in the darkness. He says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Oh, this is key. See, many of us are living for our glory. So when we do something good and people go, oh, you're so good, we go, well, thanks. I appreciate that. You're kind of right. But I wanna be humble. Thank you very much. See, what's happened is we've robbed God of his glory. We've, we've stolen his glory. It's not our glory. Um, so we've done a number of big building projects since I've been here at Summit. We built our kids' wing um, years ago. We, we redid our, our Blairsville location. And in both of those major construction projects, nobody's ever said, wow, this is gorgeous. Where's the hammer that did this? I need to see the screwdriver that, that built this building. Nobody ever said that. Do you know why? Because... It's just the tool. They want to know who the builder is. Who was the company? Who's the architect on this building? Who designed this? Who did the actual labor for this? And this is what we need to understand. In, in God's kingdom, we are the tools. We are the hammers. We don't get glory. The glory doesn't terminate with us. It terminates with our God. We are a light in the darkness for people, but the glory doesn't land on us. It lands on God. We direct people to God because he is the only one that's worthy of praise. Number two, praise God. And some of you are like, great, I love to praise God. With your mouth. With your mouth. Did I? Did I skip one? Nope. Nope, that was number two. 
Roman numerals mess me up sometimes. Number two, praise God with your mouth. So here's the thing. Um, some of you are from a Catholic background or maybe Lutheran or Presbyterian. And some of you, you come to church and you have heard people say amen from time to time. That's why I love Pastor Ricky and Danielle being on the front row because they will amen me. Uh, so you hear people and I've had, literally had people go, why are people talking during church? Like, what is going on? Does somebody need to stop that? And it's like, no, 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 here's what's going on. They're interacting. They're, they're saying amen, which means so be it. Like, it, it, so the, what they're saying is it's agreement. Let that come to pass. Let that happen, basically. So they're, they're just in agreement. They're using their mouths and people are like, no, we don't do that in church. We sit quietly in church and that's what we do. We sing the songs at a reasonable volume level and that's all we do. <laughs> and I got bad news for you. We are a loud church if you haven't picked that out already. Um, and scripture makes it very clear that we do praise God, but we praise God with our mouths among other things. So we, we clap hands according to scripture. We raise holy hands. And some of you, this is freaking you out. When we raise hands to God, we honor God with surrender. Um, we honor God by dancing. We're not even gonna go there today, so don't worry. Some of you are like, are we doing like fifth grade PE style? We're gonna bring people up and teach them how to dance. No, we're not doing that. That's not what we're doing, square dancing. Um, but, but what I do wanna make clear is scripture tells us over and over and over, we praise God, we glorify God with our mouth, with our voice. Psalm 34 verses one through three says this, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I love this. I love this. Here's the thing. Can we worship God quietly? Yep, you can. Absolutely. There are definitely times for that, that we sit silently before the Lord and we meditate on his word and we just listen for his voice. And here's the thing. God speaks quietly to us many times. Very, very, very rarely does God shout at us. He, he speaks quietly to us, gently. But what we do and see in scripture is that we use our voices with volume to speak to God at times. And it's not for God. God's not hard of hearing. He's not struggling to catch what we're saying. We, we do it for us. There's something powerful about us celebrating God. The word we used earlier, kleos in the Greek, uh, it's related to the English word loud. So there's this implication of volume when it comes to glory and assigning honor specifically to God. So think about it this way. Um, maybe one of my girls... I wanted to celebrate them. I wouldn't just go, I'm so proud of you. Good job. Maybe, but probably to get the message across, I would say, I am so proud of you. Oh, I love you so much. Oh, I'm so proud of what you've done, right? I would use volume. And some of us, we go, God, thank you so much for what you've done. We're like ventriloquists. I'm not gonna move my mouth. Nobody's gonna know I'm talking. I've seen you guys worship, some of you. You're doing like the uh, eighth grade boy at the dance where you just kind of sway back and forth. You're not moving the mouth. Maybe you're holding on to the uh, seat in front of you for protection. Maybe your hands are firmly in the pockets. 
You're not one of those crazy Pentecostals. You know, you're not going here. You're definitely not going here. And you're definitely not saying anything with your mouth. So you're gonna observe during worship, but you're not using your mouth. And I'm telling you today, there's something powerful about unleashing our voice in praise and bringing glory to God. It's amazing. Now here's, here's part of the important part for us. Um, okay, number one, it's important for you to hear yourself praise God. You can think it, but there's something powerful about hearing you quoting scripture, about you verbalizing your affection for God, the glory of God in your life, declaring that. There's something powerful about you hearing that. Number two, um, I don't know if you saw in the scripture, it actually says here, I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. What he's saying is, hey, when I boast in the Lord, when I glorify God with my mouth, the people that are around me that are helpless are going to be encouraged by what they hear. They're gonna hear of the goodness of our God and they're gonna be encouraged. So your voice impacts the people around you because they hear that. I don't know if you know this, they can't read your mind. They have to hear your voice. And third is this, um, Satan we have an enemy who is real, but I got good news for you. He is finite. He is a created being. He's not omniscient like our God. So we can pray to God without our voice. We can pray from our heart and our mind and God hears us. Satan cannot read your thoughts. In order to combat Satan, I think one of the most important tools we have is our mouth. And when we speak the praises of God into the world, we are declaring not only to God, not only to ourselves, not only to the people around us, but also to the enemy of our souls, who we believe God is and who he, what he has done and what he will do for us. We're declaring his glories to the people around us. And it's so important for us to speak out loud with our mouth. The kleos, declare the glory of God. Now, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna make some of you wildly uncomfortable. I love doing that, by the way. It's one of my favorite things to do as your pastor. Uh, I'm gonna make you, some of you very, very uncomfortable. We're gonna do something that I'm, I'm calling a 15-second praise break. And here's what's gonna happen. We got 15 seconds up on the clock. It should be on the clock in Blairsville as well. And when I say go, we're gonna have 15 seconds of praises. We don't have any music. We're, I'm not gonna make you do anything, get up, you, nothing. From your seat, we're gonna praise God with our mouths. Now, here's the thing we just talked about. Kleos means volume. Uh, what I expect is that you will do it loud enough that the person next to you could hear. And you're like, Mel, what if I say the wrong thing? I got good news for you. They're gonna be using their mouth as well. And they're focused on what they're saying. They're not even paying attention if you got it right or wrong. So you focus on you and you'll be just fine. And we're gonna praise God with our mouths for 15 seconds. I'm gonna turn off my mic so you don't just get to spectate and watch me do it, and we're going to do it together. And if you wanna shout, shout, that's good. Scripture calls us to do that. If, if you wanna sing a new song unto the Lord, Scripture calls us to do that as well, do that. If you just wanna praise God in your voice, that's cool. But what we're not gonna do is sit quietly because Scripture has called us to use our mouth to bring praises to God. Everybody understand the rules? All right, one, two, three, go.
some of you are just like, I don't know what happened, but I kind of like that. <laughs> that kind of felt good. Yeah, it does. There's something powerful about declaring who our God is to ourselves, to our neighbors, to God himself and to our enemy. And I'm telling you today, you have permission to do that in our church. It's okay. I, I grew up in the South and Growing up in the South, it was not uncommon when we would pray together and somebody would be on stage, people wouldn't just listen to that person pray, but they would say, hey, let's pray together. And people in the church would pray out loud with their voices. And they weren't trying to drown anything out, but they were, com they were combining their faith, they were combining their prayers to one prayer to God. And I'm telling you today, I'm okay with us doing that because we're commanded to praise God with our mouths. When we praise God with our mouth, we bring glory to God. You can have a 15 second praise break on your way to work tomorrow. You're driving to work, take 15 seconds, turn off the radio and say, God, I glorify you because you're the only one that's worthy of my praise. God, you are the alpha and the omega and everything in between. God, my life is about bringing you glory. 15 seconds, that's it. You could do it at work if you want to, you might get fired, but you could do it at work. <laughs> but praise God with your mouth. Number three. Obedience, obedience. John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying to God and he says this, he says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. He's talking about the glory that's hidden from us that we can't take until we get to heaven. There's a glory that we will not see of God until we get to heaven. And Jesus is saying, God, I wanna come home. I'm ready for that glory again. But he said, in the meantime, I brought you glory here on earth by completing all the work you gave me to do. Jesus said, I was obedient to do what you asked me to do, and that brings you glory. And I'm telling you today, when you are obedient to do what Jesus asked you to do, you will bring God glory. Um, I got some of my family here. I didn't think I'd get teary-eyed, but I got a, my great nephew, Calvin. Hi, Calvin. Love that kid. He's three. <laughs> Yeah, give Calvin a round of applause. So Calvin is here, and it's been a while since my girls were little, and Calvin's three, and his little brother Eli is just three-month-old. They're, they're kids, and I've heard more conversations between Calvin and his mom about obedience and minding over the last few days, and I've forgotten, oh yeah, I used to have those talks, because human beings are not prone to be very obedient most of the time, Right? And if you've forgotten, your kids were not better than my kids were, I can assure you of that. Like all of our kids struggle with obedience. Why? Because that's part of our human nature. Because we obey if we want to. Remember when you would tell your child to do something and they would do it if they wanted to? Not only if they wanted to, they would be obedient when they wanted to. Do you ever have that conversation? Hey, I told you two hours ago to clean your room. And I'm on my way to do it right now. And I said, no, 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 no. I wanted you to do it two hours ago. And what they don't understand is delayed obedience is disobedience. So when, when I want my kids to be obedient, I want them to be completely obedient when I tell them to be obedient. I want you to do everything I told you to do in the timing I told you to do it. 
And when they were younger, especially, they couldn't fathom why this was. And the problem was they didn't understand my heart. I'm not a tyrant. And we think if we just give them the right motivation, because a lot of people, will, they will be obedient if you give them the right benefits. Hey, I'll give you this. I'll give you a prize if you'll be obedient. Or they'll punish you. Hey, if you don't be obedient, you're gonna get this. This is a lot of churches I grew up around that said things like, hey, if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. And that was the motivation for obedience. I don't wanna go to hell, I better be obedient. I wanna go to heaven. I remember, when I was a kid, a teacher, a teacher in church said, hey, you wanna to go to heaven with your parents, don't you? I'm like, what? My parents might go to heaven without me? Like, yes, I wanna sign up for that. I don't know what to do. I'm going, right? And, and they were trying to motivate us to be obedient out of the reward or the punishment. And this is how many of us function. We, we function like children when it comes to God. God says, here's what I want you to do. And we go, mm, I don't know. I think what I want to do sounds like more fun. Here's what I want you to do. I'll do that when I'm ready to do that. I'll do that later. And here's the thing. If we knew God's heart for us as a heavenly father, and we trusted his heart, we wouldn't need the motivation of heaven or hell to be obedient. We would be obedient. If, if my girls really understood when they were younger how much I loved them and how they could trust what I'm asking them to do, I wouldn't need to, to punish them or, or to give them a, a, a prize. But yet we are so immature and so selfish that we demand a bribe from God. Well, God, I'll do what you want me to do, but you gotta do something for me. Well, God, I'll go to church, but you better bless me. God, God, I'll, I'll give to that church, but if, I, if you don't give to me, that's how we act. But how about if we just said, God, I love you and I'm gonna honor you with my life. I wanna glorify you. So God, I'm just gonna be obedient. Whatever it is you ask me to do, I'm gonna be faithful to do it. And it might be hard, it might be painful, it might cost me something, but it is worth it. And so God, I'm gonna be obedient immediately and completely to whatever it is you ask me to do. Number four, I'm not gonna spend much time here. We talked about it recently. How do we glorify God? Produce much fruit. John chapter 15, verse eight said this, when you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Jesus himself said, when you produce much fruit, God is glorified. He's, he brings great glory to my father is what he said. I preached on this series in May and June, a series called Much Fruit. You can go back and listen to it if you'd like. And we talked about this. So what is the fruit you're producing? Every one of us are producing fruit. God wants us to produce much of good fruit. What is the good fruit? Galatians chapter five tells us what it is. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit that should be evident in our lives and should be growing in our lives. There should be much fruit. And if it's not, then we've got to ask if we're actually connected to the right vine which is Jesus. And if we are producing much fruit, we are going to glorify God. Number five, live generously. The Corinthian church um, were being generous 
to the Jerusalem church. Paul was trying to spur them on in their generosity toward the church in Jerusalem. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 11. He says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always uh, so you can always be generous. Now, this verse is hijacked by uh, p- prosperity doctrine preachers who would say the first part only. You will be enriched in every way. God's gonna enrich you in every way. We like that. But he's not enriching us every way so we can be happy or comfortable. He enriches us in every way so that we can be generous. He wants to use us as a conduit of his blessing to other people. And it says that when we take our gifts to those who need them, they'll thank God. So two good things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Verse 13 says, as a result of your ministry, the ministry of giving, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for the gift, too wonderful for words. The gift he's talking about is the gift of generosity, the gift of giving. That when we are able to give, when we give obediently to the people around us, to the needs we see, to our church, it's a gift. And I'm telling you, I I really enjoy being generous. It's fun being generous with people. And if you've never done it, you need to try it. It's really, it's really fun. Um, it's, fun it's fun surprising people with generosity. Um, here's the thing. Have you ever been at a restaurant and you go to sign the credit card slip and at the bottom, it'll, it'll say the tip amounts. 15% is this much, 20% is this much, 25% is this much. And so that you can add the tip and, and the reason they do that is they're trying to give an objective standard for what genera, a generous tip is. Because left to our own devices, some people would say, man, 3% is a really generous tip. I'm giving them $3 on this $100 bill. Psh, good for you, lady. Don't spend it all in one place, right? And there are people that really do think that's generous. And so what the restaurant does is go, no, 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 let us help you understand generosity. Here are some standard objectives, uh, objection. Um, some objective standards for generosity. And and we get uncomfortable with the tithe in church because we go, oh, 10%, the church just wants my money. No, that is not the case. Here's the thing. God wants your heart and your heart is wrapped up in your stuff many times. It's wrapped up in our wallet and our checkbook and our credit cards. It is attached And God knows the only way to grab your heart is to get your wallet out of the way. And so what he says is, be generous. And then he gives us an objective standard for generosity. And that objective standard for generosity, according to scripture, is the first tenth of our income. It's called a tithe, the first tenth. And that's that's the acknowledgement that God gives me everything I have, it's all his, but he asked me to give 10% back to him, the first 10th, to glorify him, to honor him, to acknowledge to him, God, I trust you. I trust you with the 90% that you'll bless more than I trust the 10% that you don't bless. So God, I trust you. And that's what it's really about. The tithe is an objective standard of baseline generosity. Notice I said baseline generosity. Some people think 10% is where it ends. No, bad news. 10% is actually where generosity begins. So when we give 10% and then we give above that, 
That's where we get some fun stuff happening. We get to see some exciting things happening. That's where we're, we're helping neighbors with their bills. We're blessing people. We're doing things. The problem is most of us look at this as a suggestion and rather than a standard by which we should live our lives. But what we see clearly is when we live generously, God's glorified. Number six, avoid sexual sin. First Corinthians chapter six says this, run from sexual sin. I don't know if that's clear. Do I need to translate that for you? Run from sexual sin. Can you imagine if we actually literally did that in the world we live in today? Some of you IEP students, your dating life would look much different if you know, your, your date was progressing and then the second you knew, hey, things might be going someplace biblically they shouldn't be going, you just run as fast as you can away, <laughs> literally. And the girl's like, I don't know what just happened, he ran away. Like, I'm fleeing sexual sin, I'm doing what Mel told me to do. Our lives would be a lot better, I can tell you that. But he says here, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own bodies. The word sexual immorality here in the Greek, is a, it's a word porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from in the English language. And it means uh, any sexual contact outside of biblical covenant of marriage. So between one man and one woman. Um, and so it's, pornography, um, sex before marriage, um, sexual contact with someone besides your spouse after marriage. Um, there's a whole, a whole list that we could go through, but I can see you're already uncomfortable, so we won't go through the whole list. How about that? Can we just agree that I know what I'm talking about here? Here's the thing. Let me take it a step further. It's not even just about sexual sin. It's about, it's about my body. Because it says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me go on. I'm sorry, I didn't finish verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. We honor God. We glorify God with our bodies. So this takes it a step further where we say it's not just about sexual sin. It's also about what am I, what am I consuming? What am I having? What am I eating? What am I doing with my body. See, there are many of us, uh, the problem is not just what we say with our mouths, it's what we're putting into our mouths. What are we eating? What are we consuming? See, we produce glory to God with the things we say with our mouths, but sometimes we're consuming things that we shouldn't be consuming. Maybe it's the food that we're consuming for comfort rather than for nourishment. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, whatever it is. There are things that we disregard this scripture because our bodies, we don't look at them as the temple of God. When I was growing up, I, I grew up in this little Pentecostal holiness church and I would get in trouble for running in church. Did anybody ever get in trouble for running in the church you grew up in, a few of you? And we got some liars here too, so. If you grew up in church, you ran in the church and some mom, it might not even been your mom, got on to you for running in church. We do not run in church. This is the house of God. I'm like, the house of God is boring, right? <laughs> we do not play with balls in the church. We do not ride bikes in the church. We do not play basketball in the church. Here's all the things we don't do in church. Because the implication was there are things we do in the church that, that we don't necessarily do outside the church, but there are definitely things outside the church that we do not do in the church. 
This is God's house. And the idea is that we honor God in this house. And I appreciate that and I understand that. So that's why you would wear your very best to church because we, we're honoring God. And this can get a little legalistic. Um, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity, I sat with pastors from all over the state um, and it was a, a gathering of some of the biggest churches in the state just to talk about how do we win Pennsylvania for Jesus Christ? How do we work together to do that? It was really exciting. And it was funny because I've got a lot of friends that were in that group and we were talking and we we're dressed kind of like this. And then you started seeing the black churches walk in and these pastors from black churches were walking in. I was like, I think his suit cost more than my Jeep did. Um, it was it was nice. And they are dressed to the T's. I mean, look good. And I was giving some of them a hard time about it. And it was just different culture. And, and in their culture, they just say, hey, we are going to honor God even with the way we are dressing. And so for us, that's not as, as high a value. We feel like, hey, we honor God with our hearts. And if you wear um, a Patriots jersey, we will love you until you get saved. So... Um, <laughs> So it's just a different point of view. But the idea is we will honor God in this house. That's the idea. And what if we applied that same principle to our bodies as the house of God? If we said, this is the temple of God. So there are things that happen outside that are not gonna happen inside. There are things that go on in the world that I'm not gonna allow in here because this is a holy space and I'm gonna honor God with my life. Ephesians 2 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. And we've used this verse several times over the last month. I can't boast about my salvation. It's a gift from God. Jesus did the work. I didn't do it. I just received the gift. That's all I did. So Jesus gets the credit. He gets the glory. So my question is, who gets the glory? And we're sitting here in church and we're talking about this. And the easy Sunday school answer is to go, Jesus, Jesus gets the glory. That's right, Jesus gets the glory. But most of us are not gonna live our lives as if Jesus gets the glory. So how do we live lives where God gets the glory? Well, the the last thing I'll tell you is this. We just live a a glory-focused life. We live a life that's focused on the glory of God. Instead of it being a peripheral idea where I'm gonna, I'm gonna live for my happiness, I'm gonna live for my comfort, I'm gonna live for my joy, I'm gonna live for my pleasure, and if God is also glorified, great, that's a bonus. What if we flipped that around and said, God, I'm going to live for your glory. I'm gonna live so that people see your goodness in my life. And if I get some happiness out of it, great. And if I get some pleasure out of it, great. And if I get some comfort out of it, great. But my primary purpose is not for my happiness. My primary purpose is for your glory. In 1 Corinthians, Paul was talking to the church and he was mediating this, this, <laughs> this fight that they were having because some of them were saying, hey, we can't eat certain foods. Uh, the Jewish people are saying we've got to eat kosher and we don't want to eat kosher. And can we eat food that's been given to, to, given to, to pagan worship? And what do you think? And... We don't, we want to eat bacon and they won't let us eat bacon. And Paul's like, bacon tastes delicious, man. That's not really what he said. But if he was here, he would tell us bacon tastes delicious. And so he basically just says, listen, uh, there are things that aren't in the Bible that we don't know that are outside of scripture. And so here's what you do. If it's a sin to you to eat bacon, don't eat bacon. But don't impose your standards on other people that are outside of scripture. That's basically what he says. 
And then he says this. He says in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He says, live your life for the glory of God. Glory focused. Everything you do should be focused on his glory. Not your comfort, not your pleasure, not your happiness. And I am telling you, if you will use this as a lens for your decision-making, God, does this bring you glory? That is a very different question than, does this bring me happiness? Because there are things in your life that do not bring you happiness, so you're not gonna do them, even though they bring God glory. But if you say, God, I'm gonna do this and I'll be obedient because it might not make me happy, it might not make me comfortable, but it's gonna bring you glory, it's going to change your life. It's gonna change how you navigate loss. It's gonna change how you navigate pain. It's gonna change, if you live a glory-focused life, it's gonna change what house you buy, who you marry. It's gonna change how you raise your kids. It's gonna change everything. But you're gonna be doing exactly what God has asked you to do. Live a life focused on his glory and not on my own glory. There is a composer that even if you don't listen to classical music, you probably heard of, Johann Sebastian Bach. And many of you may not realize he was actually a believer. And he wrote many pieces for the church. And all the work he did, all the compositions he did for the church, and many that he didn't write specifically for the church, he would sign with the initials SDG. Soli Deo Gloria. Because even though he was one of the most famous composers of his time, and now in retrospect, even of all time, he still wanted people to know, yes, I compose this music, but I don't get any of the glory. God gets all the glory. Soli Deo Gloria. And what if we lived our lives with that kind of standard, that we said, no matter what I create, no matter what I compose, no matter what I put together, no matter what I do, it is all S-D-G, soli, Deo, Gloria. God, when I go to work on Monday morning, soli, Deo, Gloria. God, when I'm interacting with my kids, soli, Deo, Gloria. God, when I'm, when I'm, just going about my day, doing my thing. It's not even about me and my leisure is not even about my leisure. It's about my leisure bringing glory to God. Any of these things, when we filter it through this idea, it will change your life. You know, one of the interesting things about Moses, you know, when we started, we were talking about Moses and he interacted with God, show me your glory. I wanna know you and it's incredible. But here's the thing, when Moses left the mountain, he's glowing, he covered up with a veil. And it's interesting because the glory actually faded. The glory of God, the physical change faded from him. It didn't stay that way. See, what, what needed to happen was for him to go back into the presence of the glory of God in order to have that countenance again. But he was doing his thing. He was doing good things and and here's what I need you to understand. It's not enough for us to say, God, show me your glory. I wanna know you. It requires us to continue to stay and to live our lives in the glory of God, in his presence, where we are continually saying, God, I just wanna know you. I just wanna know you. God, today, show me your glory. God, show me who you are today. And when we do that, you and I, as unworthy as we are, as broken and messed up as we are, we are vessels of the glory of God. 
that you carry the glory of God into your workplace, into your home, into your community, wherever you go. But it takes you being obedient and saying yes to his glory and no to your glory. I'm gonna turn it over to our host there in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time and give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Let's bow our head. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Oh, thank you <laughs> that you'll show us your glory. You'll reveal who you are to us. And God, I'm sorry for the times I've taken that for granted, that I've lived my life for my glory, for my own purpose, my own pleasure, my own comfort, my own happiness. And God, I repent of that today. God, I pray that every person in this place, no matter who we are, no matter how long we've walked with you, today we would purpose in our hearts to live a life that is soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. That every other purpose would be secondary. Lord, my, my happiness would be secondary to your glory. My, my comfort would be secondary to your glory. My pleasure would be secondary to your glory. And that you would get the glory from my life that you deserve. God, I'm sorry for the times I've robbed you of the glory that you deserved. God, I pray each of us in this place, our hearts would be compliant, we'd be submissive to you, that we would obey, not when we want to or if we want to, but completely and immediately. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, let today be the day they say yes and surrender their hearts to you and they experience you maybe for the first time. I pray for those that have drifted from you, that have walked away from you. I pray today would be a day of, of reconciliation, that they would come home. God, I pray for people who are Christians in this place to say yes to you fully and wholly, that there aren't areas of our lives we're holding back, but God, we will do everything you ask. We will live lives that are glory focused, that put you first. So God, speak to us in these next few moments. Now with nobody looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say to me today, Mel, I know I'm not walking with God. I know I'm not serving God, but I wanna be. I wanna surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus today. I'd love to pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down if you'd say that to me. Yeah, thank you. A couple hands on my right. Yeah, three, four, another hand. Thank you so much. Who else would say that's me? Pray for me. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Thank you over here on my left. Thank you, ma'am. Who else would join these and say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Yeah, thank you on my right. A couple hands. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Say, pray for me, Mel. Include me in that prayer. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer together. Everyone in this place, we're gonna pray this prayer out loud with our mouths. And I'm gonna give you the words to say. You don't have to worry about what am I gonna say? I'll give you the words to say, but this is your prayer. This is not my prayer. This is your prayer from your heart to God today. So I want everybody in the place to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory. Let that be my highest purpose in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation. 
the old is gone and the new has come. And so here's what we'd like to do. We wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. Um, if you were meeting somebody for the first time, just like I was meeting my friend, Ed, um, you would walk together, you'd talk together, you would get to know each other. And we wanna help you get to know Jesus. And so if you would, take one minute, fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and let us know about that decision. Take that to the next step table out in the lobby. Uh, Pastor Todd, some of our staff are gonna be around. We'd love to answer questions, give you some resources to help you take the next step. If you'd prefer, or maybe you're watching online, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Let us know about your decision that way. And even if you do that digitally, please stop by our next step table so our team can help you. We wanna help you walk in your faith and grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna worship together before we go this one last time. And while we're doing that, our prayer team's here. We would love to pray for you, no matter what your need is, no matter how big or small it may be. Our team is here to pray for you and help you navigate whatever you may be going through. Um, don't forget guys, Friday night, uh, we're gonna be here with the Belonging Co. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna worship together. We're gonna celebrate our good God. And I would love for you to be here and join us this Friday night. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're gonna to worship together one more time. And I, you hear me say it all the time and I mean it. I love you guys so, love you guys so much. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an awesome day. We'll see you Friday night. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.